Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 14 this morning, and we're going to finish out this chapter. We come this morning to, to a prayer, and it is Paul's second prayer here in the book of Ephesians. He has prayed previously in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He has prayed that they would have knowledge. He has prayed that they would have knowledge about Christ, not just knowledge that was in their mind, but knowledge where their mind is transformed. Uh, Knowledge where their life becomes conformed to the things of Christ. And so here, as he ends chapter 3, he begins to pray again. And his prayer, once again, includes knowledge, but its, its core is that they would be strengthened. He He has been called to preach to the Gentiles as we looked at last week. And in that calling, his prayer is that they would know the mystery of the gospel. That they would know who Christ is and what he has done for them. And by knowing that, that he would, or that rather they would then be strengthened. I think this morning you and I... If we were honest with ourselves, we would like to be strengthened in our relationship with Christ. We go through difficulties, we deal with hardships, and it, it's hard to get through. It's hard to push on through the storms that we face sometimes, and so we want strength. Paul praised that for the believers here in Ephesus, that they would be strengthened, not in physical strength, not in their ability to combat those who come against them in a physical sense, but rather he prays for their spiritual strength. So if you are there this morning, I invite you to stand with me. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. As we read this morning. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Paul 
prays that they would have strength. The unfortunate thing for you and I is I, I think we have a somewhat distorted view of strength. We live in a society and in a time where strength is based on your abilities. Strength is based on your ability to do something. Maybe your strength, this, when you think about strength, you think about the physical nature of strength. Someone going into a workout room or someone who works very hard in the job that they have and they have gained great physical strength. I trust that you realize that we are but a few weeks away from the beginning of my favorite part of the year. In just a few weeks, large, burly men from out, throughout the country will gather on college campuses and begin thinking about training camp for football season. It's the best part of the year. And it continues on until this game that is played at the first weekend in February. And then the rest of the year, who cares? not very important. If you have ever met any of those men who play football, they are large and sometimes frightening men. They can do amazing acts and feats of strength. But we also realize that it takes but a moment for someone to hit them in their knee, tearing the tendons that hold everything together for a season and maybe a career to be over. So that's probably not our best example of strength. Maybe strength to you is, is our strength as a people. Not as the people of God, but as a nation. Our military strength, our economic strength. Maybe to you, when you think about strength, you think about the power and prestige of our country and not many more like us. And yet we look throughout history and we realize that the great civilizations of the world, the Greeks, the Romans, we think about the colonial period with the French and the Spanish and the English and their, their colonies that stretched across the world, and we realize that that can fade quickly. All you have to do is have watched the stock market for the last few weeks to know that your retirement can once again disappear. So maybe that's not our best test of strength. Paul prays that they would have spiritual strength. And I want to lay out first in these first few verses the kind of strength that he talks about. First, look in verse 16. He prays that they have strength with power. It seems like that would be a pretty good thing to have. Who would want to have the strength without the power to use it? But it is not based on our abilities. If we look elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul prays for strength that only comes in the power of Christ. 
big, strong men can be struck down in a moment with an injury or a disease that ends their strength. Nations fall, and they fall frequently. But the power that we have in Christ gives us a strength that does not pass away. It is a strength that causes you and I to realize that we are inadequate on our own to do anything for the kingdom. We are inadequate to live for Christ. We are inadequate to follow Christ. We are inadequate to have anything on our own. But when the power of God is placed in our life by our Savior, the strength that we have in Christ is unlimited. It is strength for every day. It is strength for our relationships. It is strength for our children. It is strength to get through. And it's given to us through the power of God. See, Paul realized in this list from 2 Corinthians that he faced hardship each and every day. He faced difficulties. He faced persecution. He was beaten. He was in prison. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. And in those moments, he was strongest because he was weakest. I think it is by no mistake that Jesus himself goes to visit whom he goes to the children he goes to the invalids he goes to the blind he goes to the weak he goes to the sinners of society who had no standing why because they were the ones who were at the point of being able to accept his power people who are high up and believe they have strength see little need for someone else's if you are the most powerful king or president in the world, what have you need of anything else? But when we realize our weakness before God, when we realize our lowliness before God, He gives us strength through His power. Look secondly at what He says still in verse 16. Through His Holy Spirit. He says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. The power that we have comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We should be, we should be slow to embrace any other source of strength. We have to realize that anything else that we put our faith in and we put our stock in is not going to hold up. My friends, even this morning, if, if your strength is found in your relationships with other people, even if they are believers, that cannot be your source of strength. We as believers are called to carry one another's burdens. To be a shoulder to lean on and to cry on. But in the end, even our relationship with other believers has its power through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, putting your, putting your hope in anyone else is a recipe for disaster. 
Because we all fail. We all fall short. We all struggle to live up to the standard that God has set for us. You want your kids to have a good mom and dad? You want to show them abundant love? Put your faith in the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit for your strength and point them to do the same. Don't rely just on mom and dad. Don't see mom and dad as the source for your strength. See the power of God. You want to see improvement in your marriage? Don't be the rock that your spouse falls on or clings to. Point them to the rock that never fails. And trust me, that relationship gets better. He wants them to have strength with power through His Spirit. Where at? Look in verses 16 and 17. He says, in our inner being, he says in verse 17, in your hearts. These are parallel verses. The Spirit dwells in our heart. Christ dwells in our heart. That is where God has dwelt in His people. See, our strength is found in the power of of Christ in our heart. It is not our physical prowess. The strongest person in the world. And there can be only one, and it is none of us. I'm fairly certain with that. The strongest person in the world who can do any amazing feat of strength that is put before him will grow old, his body will fade, and he will die. The most powerful woman who has ever lived will fade and die. That type of physical strength will do nothing. It's not the prowess of our social standing. It is not how many people like us, how many people want to be our friend. Because every person who has ever lived, whether they lived with millions of people who shouted their name and loved them, or whether it was a child who lived but a moment and starved in Africa knowing no one. Both of them were created in the image of the Father. And both of them depend on Christ for their salvation. This power that we look to in the world, this power that we desire, it is fading away, and yet Christ, who dwells in our heart, offers us strength. You know, we're reminded in the Scriptures that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against evil. We are fighting against spiritual evil in our world. We're fighting against the prince of darkness who combats us at every turn. What that reminds us is that supreme physical power is irrelevant when it comes to a spiritual battle. When faced with an onslaught from Satan, the most powerful man in the world will cower in fear while the smallest child who has a verse of Scripture they can quote 
can stand against his attack. We truly have nothing to fear with the power of Christ if we have been strengthened by His Spirit. Now what does it do? What does this indwelling that He talks about here of the Spirit, what does it do for us? Look in verse 17, the end of verse 17 there. It, he prays to the church at Ephesus that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Why does he use this language? Well, first, roots. Think about what roots do. Roots provide growth. They provide the ability to grow, and they keep a plant upright. If you do not have roots, then trees fall easily. That's why you notice if you go anywhere where trees have large root systems that spread out, it's much harder for a storm to knock them down than a tree that has short root systems that do not go out very far. Or it could be a pecan tree at the parsonage that just falls when there's not even a storm. I don't know how that works. He wants us to be rooted in love. He, he wants the roots to go out deep, to spread out all around so that when storms do come, when difficulties do come, we remain upright. He also says that he wants us to be grounded in love. This word grounded talks about the foundation of a house. We know from Jesus' teachings that you don't build your house on the sand. The sand that's shifting, the sand that's always moving, the sand that's here today and gone tomorrow. You don't build it there. You build your house on the rock. You build it on somewhere that is solid. Somewhere that will not move. Something that will not go away. So if our lives and the strength that we have in Christ is founded on love, it will not collapse under pressure. Again, we look at any strength that this world defines and it takes very little pressure for it to all collapse. It takes very little effort at all. Governments change, people change, beliefs change, and then what are you left with? But a firm foundation in love holds our structure against any collapse. Friends, think about this. The problems that we have, the issues that we face with one another, which one of them is not solved by love? Which one of our divisions, which one of our, which part of our turmoil is not solved through a foundation of love? We're told in, again, 1 Corinthians that love, it conquers in the end all. So if we are rooted in love, and if we are grounded in love, then, then we do not have to fear not having the strength, because as the Spirit dwells within us, that is what we will 
do. Look secondly at what it does. We're, it roots us and grounds us in love. And then also in verse 18 into 19, it gives us comprehension. It gives us comprehension. Comprehending the love of Christ is a work of the Spirit. And it gives us strength. As you and I begin to understand what God has done, does it not put other things in a different light? If you and I understand that God has given us grace, that God has died in our place, even though we were sinful, does it not change everything else? To give you an example, if you picture in your head the person or group of people that you hate most, there is someone. There's someone that you have fought with. There's someone that you do not like. There is someone that you cannot stand. If you've got them in your mind, think about it like this. On their worst day, doing their worst act, in their worst way, they have not offended you as much as you have offended God. Now you may think, well, I'm talking about this person, or I'm talking about that person, or this group of people has done this, or that group of people has done that. Think about this. They have never offended you to the extent you have offended God. Because God stands here holy, perfect, righteous in every way, and you aren't. You may say, well, I didn't deserve what they did. Maybe, maybe not. I, they shouldn't have done that. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but whatever they did to you, they did to a person who was sinful and fallen. And what you have done to God, you have done to the being who is holy, perfect, righteous, who made you and sent his son to die for you. I think God wins on this one. That being the case, the knowledge that we have of God and the realization that while we have offended Him greatly, while we have disobeyed Him completely, He died for you. If you comprehend that fact, it will change the relationship you have with others. Look at what the comprehension is. Verse 18, the breadth, length, and height, and depth. The love of the Father is huge. It is not easily understood. It is a lifelong endeavor. But understanding this fact, that God, who needed nothing, who needed no one, spoke out of the darkness and created you. He spoke out of the darkness and He hung the stars. He spoke out of the darkness and He separated the sea from the land. And He, on the sixth day, made us. You may say, well, He made Adam and Eve. He made us. But our first parents in the garden disobeyed. He gave them one rule and they disobeyed and they fell from God's grace. 
But God was not done with us. And so, 2,000 years ago, as we told the residents at those nursing homes this week, 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son. He lived a perfect life, but He was arrested, beaten, He was tried. As, as, my, as my brother Marcus pointed out, He was found not guilty several times. But he was sentenced to death and sent to a cross. And there where he was nailed, he died for you. No one else. No one else. For most of us, no one else willing. And for all of us, no one else able to die in our place. The Bible tells us on the third day when those ladies went to prepare his body, the stone was rolled away, and the angel said, He is not here. He has risen. See, you can't comprehend that without the Spirit working in your heart. Because to the world, that, what I have just told you, from beginning to end, is a fairy tale. It's a myth. It's a legend. And for most of them, they think it's stupid. But for you and I, as the Spirit dwells within our heart, we can begin to wrap our mind around the concept that God loved us enough to die in our place. And doesn't that change everything else? Doesn't that put in new perspective the problems that you're having? Doesn't that put in new perspective the people that you hate? Doesn't that change the way you act around other people? Doesn't that change how you prioritize your life? Maybe it doesn't for you, and that's because you have yet to comprehend what it means. Because God has sent His Son to die for us so that our lives would be different. As a matter of fact, if you look at the third thing He says there, He says in verse 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know, haven't already said that a couple times, well, yes, except here, he means to know as in to experience. See, there are plenty of people who could recite for you the story that I just told. They can start in Genesis, and they can work their way through Revelation, and they can give you a pretty good idea of this overarching story. That God created us, that we fell from His grace, that Christ was sent to die in our place, and that He is coming again one day. But Paul says here that he wants them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He wants them to know it in a way that surpasses what they can know just by reading a self-help book, what they can know by just showing up at church every now and then. He wants them to know that their lives have been changed by Christ. That their lives are different because of what God has done. See, without experiencing God, knowing His love, is impossible. Without experiencing what God has done in Christ and 
experiencing it in your life and knowing it in your life and living it in your life, knowing His love is impossible. He wants us to comprehend. He wants us to know. And then thirdly here, look, the end of verse 19, He he wants us to be like Christ. The Spirit living in our heart and giving us strength will make us more like Him. See, our strength is all about bearing God's image. It's about bearing the image of our Savior. If you go back, remember what we've talked about in Ephesians. Paul has told us that we have an inheritance in the one who has been raised by God, has been raised to sit in the heavenly places. That's the inheritance we've been given. That's what we have been promised by God. So if that is our inheritance, if that is our promise, shouldn't that also be our strength? That one day we will be like Him. What does He mean by that? Well, I don't think that I can describe to you all of the things that He means but part of it is the fact that when Christ was raised, He was given a glorified body that would never perish and never fade away. And we are promised that. We are promised that one day we will be with Him forever and we are going to no longer know sin. We are going to no longer know heartache and tears. Shouldn't that be our strength? We... We should be living as if there's something ahead of us. And I'm not talking about next week or next year. But there's something ahead of us 10,000 times 10,000 years from now. And it is what is important. Not what we have now. Not what we can earn here. But in preparation for what is ahead. I remember, I can see it still in my head from this week when I think it was Thursday and we were, we were at Emporia Manor. And I, I spoke in the mornings at Greensville Manor and Marcus spoke in the afternoons at Emporia Manor and he, he, he got through sharing about the life of Christ. And the end, the end of our study each that day was to share about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And when he got done, he, he gave an invitation that anyone who was there who would like to, to speak to us about that. And if you've ever done much work in a, a nursing home or assisted living, you know that some of the folks are, are kind of in and some of the folks are kind of out and, and, and some can walk in and some have to be wheeled in. And, and Marcus began to proclaim the gospel. And you could have seen, it's like everyone was awake. Everyone was listening. And he gave an invitation, and at the end he was able to go and pray with one of the ladies there, over 80 years old, who, who prayed then to receive Christ. And I, I don't know her heart, I don't know what, what she knew and what she comprehended, but, but her intentions were pure. And my hope and prayer is that, that if she understood and and genuinely cried out to God that he saved her in that moment. His promise is that he will call, he will save those who call on him. 
Here's someone at the end of her life. Her quality of life is what you and I would not think of as very important. We would, we would not see it as very impressive. But yet now she has something to look forward to ahead. Her strength is not found in her weak body that occupies that wheelchair, but, but rather is found in her Savior who promises that she can be with him forever. Friends, if we are being strengthened by Christ, we will begin to look like Christ. That is a sign to us of what God is doing, is that we are thinking and becoming more like Him. The hope is for strength. And that's what Paul prays for. And he closes out this section with verses 20 and 21 with what we would call a doxology. He here gives praise to God. See, I think that Paul prays this prayer for strength because he knows that it is lacking. Not because he wants to point out to the Ephesians, hey, you need to be stronger in the Lord, but because he knew through his own experience and his own trials that spiritual strength is hard. We want to rely on ourselves. We want to trust in ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. We don't want to rely on Christ. We want to be a rugged individualist. We want to hold on to everything that we've got. So Paul prays that they would have strength. He prays that God would give them. As he says there in his doxology, he prays that the one who is able to do abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power within us, he says to him, our God, he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Think about that. Paul reminds them in this doxology again how weak they are, and in doing so reminds us how weak we are. Look at what he says. He says, who is able to do abundantly more than we ask. Okay, I understand that one. God can do more than we ask. But, but look at what he says after that. And think, God is so merciful to us and so powerful toward us that He can do more than we can even think about. We, we, we ask plenty. God, would you do this for me? God, would you do that? We even ask good things. God, be with with those who are serving on the mission field, God, send a messenger to those who have never heard the gospel and die without knowing Christ. We say good things, but God is able to look and realize that we don't even think about some of the things that we need. We don't even think about some of the things that He is able to do. What did He say? He said, knowing the love was to search something unknowable. And He closes out by saying, God, to you be the glory. God, you who can do more than I can ask or think. See, I can't fathom 
the fact that God loves me. Some people don't have any trouble with that. They've never searched out the scriptures. They've, they don't really understand how sinful we are, so they don't think anything about it. They think God ought to love everybody. We're all pretty good people. You know, we, we do a pretty good job. We're pretty moral people, so yeah, God should love us. But when I search out the scriptures, I see how dark and evil my sin is. So I can't fathom the fact that God loves sinners. Not only does He love sinners, but He loves us enough that He sent Christ to die for us. He sent Christ to die in your place. Which one of you this morning would give up your child to come and to die on behalf of just those of us in this room? Not me. Somebody wants to take my kid, we're going home and getting the guns and we're going to fight it out. It's just the way it is. It's not happening. And that's for the best one of you. But God looked at these People that he had made who had rejected him who had turned their back on him who had spit in his face and he says I will love them and I'll send my son to die for them oh we should pray daily in thanksgiving to God and giving him glory that he does abundantly more than we ask or think And we should give him glory. Friends, this morning, many of you are struggling. You're going through difficult times. You're, you're, you're facing uncertain days. Your strength can't be found in me. It can't be found in the person sitting beside you. It can't be found in the four walls of this room. It can only be found in Christ. He's given us a word of encouragement. A word that declares His power and strength. And He's promised that His Spirit will dwell in our hearts and lead us. Friends, if you're struggling this morning, if you're going through those hardships, pray. That seems easy, right? Pour over the Scriptures. I'm amazed. I was looking at a survey in a magazine I got that so few people even cracked this book open and we wonder why we have no power. We wonder why we have no strength. And yet His Word doesn't return void. When we open it up, God speaks. Do you need some strength this morning? Do you need God to speak into your life? give you power he's waiting he wants us to know him to know his love to comprehend his grace and be strengthened that's what he offers us today and he gives it freely will you bow your heads with me as we pray heavenly father God I, I thank you I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I, God, I'm just grateful that we have, we have hope. And God, we have strength. 
And God, for those here this morning who are struggling, my, my prayer is that you're speaking loudly to them. God, you're pointing out in their life where they are dependent on, on themselves, they're dependent on others, they're relying on this or that to get them through, and you, you lay out before them your grace. And so my hope and prayer is that during this time of invitation, God, that you would work, that you would stir hearts. God, you would show us your grace. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you're going to do, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. We are going to sing uh, a song, and as we do... Um, I just ask you to respond in whatever way God is telling you. You know, he has made a way for sinners to know him. Some of you here are, are some of you are here today and, and you're lost. You don't know Christ and he offers it freely. He just asks that you respond. Maybe you're going through something and you need to be strengthened. God is, God is desperate to give you strength today. Would you respond as we sing?